see and if you can't see then it's too bad but um i've got a new studio here i just moved into a new house that's why there's been kind of a lapse in all of the uh videos and stuff that i've been making uh but lately i've been trying to work on kind of putting together a script a little bit better than i have before and i have a video coming out pretty soon that will be more or less about the contradictions uh, about the contradictions that people say that I've done and things like that and I, I think it's really important to kind of address people also but I'm only gonna address somebody one time so what we're gonna do today is we're going to talk about something that is a brand new subject for me in my life and for me um, this is something that I don't want to talk about I've never really liked talking about this topic, but we're starting a new series called A Kernel of Untruth. <clears throat> and I name it that because it takes you to plant a tree very so slightly crooked, and the tree grows completely crooked and then falls, right? And so that is where I'm starting here is this kernel of untruth is what causes us to fall the hardest. And I really want to focus on that today. So today I want to speak on the introduction of this new series, Colonel of Untruth, where we are speaking on the realities of cults, uh, Mormonism specifically, um, the history, and most importantly, the differences between um, Christians and Mormonism and other cults. We'll, we'll get to that when, when it comes time for it. Um, but Mormons say that they are Christians. They say that we believe in the same God, we say believe in the same Jesus, they believe everything is the same. And Christians, who are not Mormons, say that they are cults. They say that they're not saved. They say that they're, um, they call them cults, they say they're not recognized as Christians, etc., etc. So, how do we make and bridge these two ideas and come together? And if you are someone who is a Mormon... Um, and if you are someone that is in search of just truth in general, I hope these videos, uh, you will find them to be uh, very fair. That's the whole point that I'm trying to do here, is to be fair and to approach this as if I were a Mormon. I, and I, I have this mentality, right? Um, if I'm going to make a video, or I'm going to, if I'm going to try to understand and teach somebody something from a different point of view of me, I call it a bounce method, right? Where I take, I have my ball of knowledge and I try to bring my knowledge to you. However, what that means is that I have to bring myself to your perspective and then pull you away from your perspective to mine. And I have to bridge that gap between you and I. And that's the most important piece here is that I take I am coming from this from a very, I'm trying to come at this with the most humble point of view possible. I'm trying to say, look, this is at least something that needs to be distinguished from Christianity, right? And not everybody can just show up one day and be like, oh, I'm a, I'm a, we're Christians, so that's, that's fine. You know, we're Christians. People should be questioned, all right? And that's just the reality of the truth. People should be questioned. So, if you value truth and you value um, uh, an opposing view, then stick around because this is going to be a good video. I'm really excited about it. And yeah, so let's go ahead and get started. About two weeks ago, literally two weeks ago, um, my sister told me that she was getting baptized. Now, thankfully, I was given some intel about the information, and um, she had not told me flat out until later. 
um, that she was actually being baptized into the Mormon church. Now, I want to start here at baptism. I had no idea. I've been sitting, I've been doing research, I have been... Uh, I'm kind of learning as I go also, and I feel like my videos will become more fruitful as I go along. But at the same time, this is a really good place for me to start because this is meeting people where the rubber hits the road. I've been trying to figure out how to start, like where I'm going to start. I bought a whole bunch of books. I've like been speed reading <laughs> a lot, listening to audio books at like two times the speed, writing down notes. I've got this notebook here full of stuff that I've just been filling with knowledge. I've even been talking to ChatGPT about this because it's uh, kind of a kind of a shill for uh, fairness. And so what I like about that is that I can ask it as essentially as a Mormon, like, do, do they believe this? Do they not believe this? Is this a myth? Is this not a myth? And then give me resources. And ChatGPT is really good about giving resources. This whole, uh, all my resources will be on um, the link in the description or in the podcast that you're listening to. Um, I have like written a script essentially, and a lot of the <clears throat> a lot of the quotes that I'll be reading here are from the Doctrine and Covenants, and also the Book of the Mormon, and then a few other things, and then also I'm going to be uh, quoting um, a bunch of stuff, the Gospel Principles, etc., the Manual of Gospel Principles, and things like that. So I'm kind of going after it. I'm not going to be the best here. I'm not an expert on this. However, I am. Uh, kind of a practice theologian, and so I, I like to read a lot, and I know uh, I know when it stinks. So let's, let's just go after it and see what we can do with the most humble way possible to just meet them where they are, read their text, read their ideas, and then apply it to the gospel. Apply it to the Bible. Apply it to what they claim as truth, okay? Because they think both are true. They think that the Bible and they think that the Book of the Mormon are true, and the reason why they think that is because of stuff like this. They have, this is a Bible, a Book of the Mormon, and the Doctrine and Covenants, all wrapped up in one. This is how they view the Bible. They look at it, they wrapped it just in leather, just like it is. It's got three different bookmarks in it, because they think that all three of these books are Holy Scripture. And that's a good place to start, because... What happens when these, within one book, it all contradicts? What happens that when I, when I say one verse and I read another and they mean something completely different, what does that mean? What does any of this mean? What does the whole point of Christianity about? Is it about salvation? Is it about numbers? Is it about ideology? Is it about winning? Is it about... A point of view that, that, that counts? Is it about doing good in this world? Or is it about Jesus Christ? Our God. And what they've done is they've taken the definition of Jesus Christ. They've taken the idea of who he is. And they've purposely twisted it. Same word, different definition. That's all it is. And so, let's go through here and talk about baptism. Doctrine and Covenants 2037. Okay, now, you will find this really interesting. In making this video, I spent a little bit of time reading over this, uh, I, you know, the trinity of Mormonism, and felt something interesting was here. This verse was given to me by ChatGPT because I was trying to find verses about baptism in the Mormon church and just literature in general because I want to give 
full quotes, and I was kind of afraid that ChatGPT was giving me a little bit of a wrong answer here, because it's not completely infallible all the time. So if you'll notice, if you read this, this is from 1975, okay? 1975, you go to the Doctrine of Covenants, and you read section 20, you will find, okay, section 1, uh, this is section 20 of Doctrine of Covenants, 1A, and it goes all the way from 1A to 1D, okay? And that's it. That's the whole thing, right then and there. The whole Doctrine of Covenants. That is A, B, four. Four verses about uh, baptism, essentially, is what 20 is about. If you go to the Mormon website today, okay, just today, the Doctrine of Covenants 20, there are 84 verses that have been added to just this one chapter, this one section. This section is one of 138. Okay. One thing that you can give to the Mormons is that they are busy writing all the time. Because here's the deal, man. This first, this book right here, this Bible is from 1975. Okay. So in the 38 years that this Bible has been around in circulation, 84, 80 verses have been added to this, to this book. What changed in 38 years? I know people that are younger than 38 years old. I, my house is younger than this Bible. Okay. So why is it that we can be comfortable with these changes? You know how many times the Holy Bible has ever changed? None. Ever. Not once. It's been, it has been written by God and continued as history reveals itself. But uh, Paul was the last apostle sent by God. Okay, but these people are keeping this idea of change as a comfortability. They are completely taking the idea that, oh, the Bible can change. People can change. Everything can change. It's all relative. It's all progressivism. And that's why God can change his mind. Real Christianity does not teach that God can change his mind at all. There is only one plan. There's only one idea. There was no like, oh, maybe uh, this, maybe that, maybe that. There was no, none of it. God has never changed his mind. What his plan was from the very beginning of time. Okay. This is Ephesians 2. I believe it is. I'm going to pull this up real quick. Ephesians 2. I was wrong. <laughs> well, I wasn't wrong. I know the other verse that I'm talking about was in Ephesians. Um, here it is. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Okay. This is God's plan. One singular plan. All the way through from beginning to end. Right. And... A lot of the Mormons would say, well, there you go, man. That's Jesus Christ. There you go. Yeah, among his brothers and sisters. That Jesus would be the firstborn of all of them, and we're all in the celestial kingdom. That is not what that means. Jesus was, in John 1, what everything was created out of. And we are all in the family of Christ because of Christ. We are his bride. We're not his bro. <laughs> So, anyway, what does the Book of the Mormon say about 
um, baptism. Doctrine and Covenants 2037, it states, And again, by way of commandment to the church concerning the manner of baptism, all of those who humble themselves before God and desire to be baptized and come forth with broken hearts and contrite spirits and witnesses before the church that they have truly repented of all their sins and are willing to take upon them the name of Jesus Christ. So we're going to stop right there for a moment and we're going to address this. This right here is not bad <laughs> at this point. It's not bad. And I'm going to give them credit where credit is due. But the problem is they redefine things so that people like me, Christians, will say, will give credence to things that they say. Right? Because what they say is not the same thing. I'm going to treat the name of Jesus Christ in this, um, in this as something different than what is typical. The name of Jesus Christ does not mean the same thing to a Mormon than they do as a Christian. Okay? Christian means little Christ. Right? Christ-like. A type of Christ. Right? We are, to the Father, His creation. Jesus was never created. Ever. Right? But, Mormons believe that. They say, oh, well, He was made by Father God to a virgin birth. And they think that Jesus and Satan are the same thing. They believe that they're, they're not the same thing. They're, they're the same family. They're brothers, essentially. This Romulus and Remus kind of mentality. So, when they say, by way of commandment to the church concerning matter of baptism, all of those who humble themselves before God, that's good. Desire to be baptized. Eh, you can't really have a desire to be baptized. Um, it's a it's a symbol of obedience towards the fact that you've already been saved. So it doesn't save you. Baptism doesn't save you. It is merely an act of obedience. And a good example of this would be Jesus himself, who actually got baptized. He didn't get baptized because he needed to be saved. He got baptized because he was showing the way to... Uh, to, to it's like Jesus, like God rested. God rested he was showing that the nature of himself. He was showing, hey, you know what? This is good for humans. You guys need to rest, so I will rest. You guys need to get baptized so that I can get baptized. I will get baptized so that you guys can know what to do. I will rest so you know what to do. Okay? So that's kind of like that. So, you need to have a humble yourselves and a desire to be baptized. Okay? So, that's kind of wrong. I'd put that into like an eh category. But I can understand how people like would like to be baptized after they've been saved. That's not what this is talking about. And it, and it reveals itself as it goes on. All of those who humble themselves before God and desire to be baptized and come forth with broken hearts and contrite spirits. This is not bad either. The contrite spirits and broken hearts doesn't mean, and it also kind of has this tinge of predatory behavior. Okay, a lot of people don't come to Jesus because they're um, because they're brokenhearted. I I wasn't brokenhearted when I came to Jesus. I was actually um, very logical when it came to finding God. I was very like, oh well, he's the only answer because of science. Like the idea of science 
and the fact that you cannot explain that nothing came from something without <laughs> without God just made sense to me. I was like, okay, yeah, that's that's really dumb to think that, okay, so nothing came out of something. Even Billy Preston gets that, you know? And so so all I'm trying to get at is that their broken hearts are not a prerequisite to becoming a Christian, right? People just become saved because they know it's the, the right thing to do. And there's actually a lot of examples of that in the Bible of people just being like, yeah, okay, yeah, I'm Christian now. <laughs> there's, I'm not going to go into it right now, but if you really want to know about it, I'll make a video about it. But there's just a lot of examples. But there is this one that I'll explain, okay? So one of the good examples of this is that there was a guy, I, I'm butchering this story, but essentially in the Bible, in Acts 8, I think it is, um, there's a story of a guy riding a, 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 ch a chariot full of material, and he's reading Isaiah as he's going along. And I, somebody comes up to him, one of the apostles, essentially, goes up to him and says, like, hey, are you, do you know what you're reading? And he goes, oh, well, if you could explain to me, that'd be great. And so he explained that it was actually Jesus, and then he actually gets baptized at that very moment. And that was it. It was like a happy story. It wasn't like this contrite, like, sorrow kind of thing. But what it does show here is that there is a predatory tinge to this because they pray on people with broken hearts they pray they pray on people with contrite spirits and people that are actually feeling sorrow for their sin right people that know that they are suffering for their sin they need the brokenhearted to feel to use as um as a weakness to pray upon to be the answer that they need and they need contrite spirits so that they have this answer to the solutions of their problems. And that's why you hear a lot of them say, oh, I had a sign. I had this sign from God that they, he, they told me that I was, uh, that God told me that I was going to be okay. <laughs> and that's not true. That's not true. Muhammad had a sign too, didn't he? And, and, and all of that's wrong. So anyway, moving on. Um, the contrite spirits and witness before the church that they have truly repented of all their sins and are willing to take upon the name of Jesus Christ. Which Jesus Christ? Your Jesus Christ or mine? Because they are two different things. Jesus Christ in Christianity is not the brother of the devil. Jesus Christ in Christianity is not a created being. All was created through him in John 1. So, however, um, the definition of baptism is contradiction to the Christian faith. And I want to put this point this out, okay? The definition of baptism in the Christian faith has a lot of different things, but essentially um, the method of which it, it is to be delivered is very simple. To be baptized in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, you are have to be you have to be saved in order to that to to get baptized, and it is not a salvific thing. It is an act of obedience. That's the most important thing to remember. Is that in order for you to be received into your church in the Mormons, you have to be baptized. So, having a determination to serve him until the end and truly manifest by their works that they have received the Spirit of Christ unto the remission of their sins and shall be received by baptism into his church. So what this means is that if there was a case, right, where I'm... I'm uh, Essentially a Presbyterian. Essentially. If I was a Presbyterian, right, and I was baptized 
as a Presbyterian. Like if I was baptized yesterday for the very first time as in a Presbyterian church. The Bible says in Ephesians 4, 5, and 6, there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Okay, Ephesians 5, one baptism, singular, one, only one. There's no baptism of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> there's, there's none of that. It's all in one thing. Okay, when you get baptized and you become a Christian, that is all one definition. There is no alternative. There's no wishy-washy. There's no, I got baptized in Jesus and now I get baptized in the Holy Spirit. It's all one thing. You get baptized in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The reason why it was different back in Acts is because no one had had the Holy Spirit before. But now when you get saved, it's a, it's a package deal because you weren't saved. You were a slave to sin before. And now as you continue on in your life and you're making all of these decisions and you're doing all of the stuff in your life, you're, you're, you're choosing sin. You can only choose sin until God draws you from that sinful condition. Right? That is just in the Bible. I'm, that's just a biblical term. I'm not going to go through it right now. So, if there was a case where someone was saved before, and I was baptized or whatever, and now I'm a professing Christian, and is and um, has already been baptized, the Mormon church will ask them to be baptized again just to enter the Mormon church. That is not the case for any other denomination of Christianity. That should not be the case. And if they are, they're wrong. <laughs> because there's only one baptism. And, and that's it. Jesus only got baptized once, and the Holy Spirit landed on him. Right? So it's not, it's not that. Okay? Um, so that is a contradiction to a certain degree. That's, at the very least, one contradiction of the many that is within the Mormon church. I mean, at the very least, they are practicing the idea of multiple baptisms. At the very least. So in the LDS church, um, the gospel principle manual says that if you have been baptized by another Christian church, you may wonder why you need to be baptized again. Baptism is the gate to the celestial kingdom of God. And without it, we cannot be cleansed from sin and we cannot return to live with the heavenly father. Baptism must be performed by a proper priesthood authority and by immersion. So, same words, different definitions. Mormons believe that Jesus Christ and Satan are spiritual brothers. They do not believe that this diminishes the divine nature of Jesus Christ because he didn't sin against God. Um, but, however, they don't understand that the fact that he was created diminishes his saviorhood. That everything was created out of Jesus and is God. Right? That there is a trinity there. Alright. So, in John 1, we see, in the beginning, God, uh, in the creator, the word was God. I'm going to read this verbatim because I'm going to mess this up. John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made. Nothing. There was nothing without Christ. There was nothing tangible without Christ. There was nothing visible and invisible. Okay? In him was life, 
In life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. Okay? This is just the case. Jesus is not a created being like Lucifer is. Lucifer was an angel. It's very clear that that is the case. It even says that in the Bible. Lucifer, I'm just going to do cursory searches. Lucifer was an angel. Bible verse. This is Ezekiel 28, uh, 13. You're the signet of perfection, of wisdom and perfect and beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, sardis, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, emerald, and carbuncle. And crafted in gold were your settings and your engravings. On the day you were created, on the day you were cre created, on the day that you were created, they were prepared. You were an anointed guardian cherubim. What's the word cherubim mean? It means a winged, angelic being described in biblical tradition as attending on God and is resembled, represented in ancient Middle Eastern as a lion or bull. Cherubims mean angel. That's what that means. You were an anointed guardian angel. I placed you, and you were on the holy mountain of God. In the midst of the stones of fire you walked. You were blameless in your ways from the day that you were created until unrighteousness was found in you. This is about the devil. This is about the devil. The devil is described in Eden. There's only three people in Eden. There is Adam, Eve, and Satan, the guy, the, the serpent that tempted him. So, there was unrighteousness found in him. Right, That part, the Mormons get right. That part, they find unrighteousness. The devil is the, the icon of unrighteousness. However, there is no place where it says in here, on the day that you and Jesus were created, in the day that you, Romulus, and Remus were made. It's just a, uh, essentially taken out of that, that book. Okay, so we're going to move on on that. So, Mormons do believe that Jesus and Satan are spiritual brothers, for they do not believe that this diminishes the divine nature of Jesus Christ or his role as a savior of the world. How can he save the world that he didn't create? That doesn't make any sense. How does he have dominion over the earth? How does he command the seas without the ability of creating it? Like, that doesn't make any sense. So here's a quote. Jesus Christ and Lucifer are spirit children of the Heavenly Father. Jesus was chosen to be our Savior, and Lucifer, who became Satan, rebelled against God, Jesus, and against God's plan. I like how they worded that, because Jesus was chosen to be our Savior. Doesn't the antithesis of that mean that God chose Satan to be the spiritual child of evil? Insinuating that God created evil? <laughs> I'm just putting that out there. That's kind of the logical line there. That Jesus and Lucifer are spiritual children of the Heavenly Father. Jesus was chosen to be our Savior. Lucifer, who became. Who became Satan. 
So Lucifer and Satan are the same person, but Lucifer became Satan. They're not they're the same person. Rebelled against Jesus and against God's plan. He sought to destroy the agency of man and make all men miserable like unto himself. Here's my question though. Okay, you read Ezekiel. How was Satan like unhappy? Like in, in what way did God not give Lucifer I mean, read this. <clears throat> you were in Eden. He was in the garden of God. Every precious stone was his covering. Sardis, topaz, and diamond. Beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, emerald, and carbuncle. And crafted in gold was your settings and your engravings. On the day you were created, they were prepared. And you were an anointed, an anointed guardian angel how is that satan was mistreated by god in any way how is this at all it was pride it was the autonomy of satan right that is he was created peccable essentially adam was created peccable satan was created peccable and what that means is that you have the ability to be imperfect or impeccable right but Impeccable, I'm sorry, it means you have the ability to, to make a mistake, right? But impeccable means you have no ability to make a mistake. Like Jesus is impeccable. He is perfect. And then you have Satan who is peccable and he is not perfect. He is completely wrong. Is that wrong? Impeccable? That's right. Okay. So... You were blameless in all your ways from the day you were created until unrighteousness was found in you. And in the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence in your midst and you sinned. So I cast you out as a profane thing from the mountain of God and I destroyed you, O guardian cherubim. How was this God saying like, oh, I'm choosing Jesus. Okay, all right, you two. All right, I'm choosing you, Jesus, good boy. You're going to go save the world from who? Why was Jesus chosen to save what? Jesus was chosen to save what? From sin that hadn't happened yet, apparently? And then suddenly this act of choosing made... So, in, in both of these circumstances, God is the author of the sin. Because God is the one that's, that made the two people to have the, di the, the dichotomy. Alright, I am creating these two people to have a feud. And then this guy is going to go off and he's going to sin against me. Or he's going to become evil and Jesus is going to save from that. But it's like, if God didn't create them, that dichotomy wouldn't exist in their world. Right? But Jesus is God. And Jesus made Lucifer in all of this ways I've described. Lucifer sinned and Jesus and humans sinned, and Jesus was sent and humbled himself to come down and save us from the from this issue, the peccability, the the ability for us to sin. In 1 Corinthians 13, it says something along the lines of that uh, love does not love does not force its own way. Now, when God created Adam and he created Lucifer, right, they both had peccability. They both had the ability to, to, um, to sin, but they, they did not, and then eventually they did. Right? That 
is the extent of how we can rationalize that verse. Other than the fact that it's wildly taken out of context, the point is that God made them. And he was like, okay, just don't eat this fruit. Lucifer, don't become violent and hate me and want to become a god. <laughs> okay, I just just worship me. And angels don't have a second chance. Like once they once they're once angels sin, then they become demons and they get cast out from the mount of God. So, all I'm trying to get at here is that either God creates Satan, okay, either God creates Lucifer, okay, and chose Lucifer for that role of being evil. And God chose Jesus Christ. Because that word chose is very pronounced. Jesus Christ was chosen to be our Savior. Okay, well that means that the antithesis is that Lucifer was also chosen to be the evil one. Okay, that's just a balance there. Manifested by their works. Here's another quote here. And all of this will be in the description. Like, you can click on this document and view it and look at it, click all the links that I have prepared for you. This is a manifest by their works. Christ's atonement is the most important event that has ever occurred. It is made possible for all people to overcome physical death and return to God's presence. However, to receive the full blessing of Christ's atonement, uh-oh, caveat, we must obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. This means exercising, uh-oh, works, Exercising faith in Jesus Christ, repenting of our sins, being baptized by immersion for the remission of sins, receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit, or the Holy Ghost to be exact, and enduring to the end faithfulness and obedience. Now, these are very, very little tricky things here, okay? Because God created us when we were conceived here on earth. God, our parents made us. Now, God foreknew and predestined everybody that would exist. And God predestined whether or not they would be there. But we did not exist until we were conceived here on earth. Okay, That is just the reality of the circumstance. And this is something that I actually believed before was that we had this kind of God. Now, God does design us, but that is through the permeation of our parents. Okay, we are not in heaven and then God shoots us down. Okay, this is not Jesus. We are not Jesus. We are born in our mother's wombs. That is where we begin. Not in heaven. We are not in heaven first. Our souls weren't made in heaven first. When we are born, we are born with a soul. But that is not from heaven. But this is where it gets a little tricky here. Because it says, all people... It is made as possible for all people to overcome physical death and return to God's presence. There is no return. There is only go to. <laughs> we are going to God in heaven. That's what happens. It has made it possible. Okay, so the possibility. Eh, maybe. It made it possible for all people. All people to overcome physical death and return to God's presence. Now, the term all people, well, you can't contradict the Bible because you guys believe in the Bible. Not all people go to heaven. So why now? That leads us to the point of election, which they don't believe in. They don't believe in the point of election that is very, very 
very clearly taught in the in the scriptures. God predestined and pre-knew everybody who would go to heaven and who would go to hell. Who were you, O oh man, to say that to tell the potter as the clay what he uses for honor and what he what he uses for dishonor? Who are you? Why was this made? Why was this clay used for decoration on my desk? And why was some of this other pottery here used for the trash? It's it's uh it's a contradiction. All people does not mean that. <laughs> there all people. Um, so okay, here's the question though. Made it possible, okay, so if I get baptized in your church, then I would be able to be baptized and go to heaven or to go to the celestial kingdom, which is a different thing. You notice that there's no heaven here. Heaven's not one time mentioned in this um, in this verse. Um, but here we go. So, made it possible for all people to overcome physical death and to return to God's presence. However, to receive the full blessing of Christ's atonement... Now, this is where you limit. Everything after that is a limitation on Christ's atonement. right? Every single thing that comes after this is a limitation to Christ's atonement. Okay, because Christ's atonement is once and done. The veil was torn. That's it. If you are a Christian, you are saved. There is nothing that you can do about it. It is not about works. It is not about any effort that you can do. In fact, Paul says that all of our works without Christ are just dirty rags. We cannot do anything. Flesh profits nothing. That's it. Bottom line. However, to receive the full blessing of Christ's atonement, we must obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay, so is there our obedience what gives us salvation? So in order for us to receive the full blessing, so like if I don't obey the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is a different Jesus, then well, I don't get half a blessing. Okay, this means exercising faith in Jesus Christ. If I don't exercise faith in Jesus Christ, does that mean I don't get half a blessing? If I don't repent of my sins, so like, okay, here's a question. Okay, let's say that I committed adultery on my wife. And then I was a, I was a Christian at the time. And as on my way home to my wife, about to repent of my sin, I get in a car accident. I had died of unrepented sin. Okay? And in the process of all of this, you know, there's uh, someone dies. So not only now I have murder, now I have adultery, and I died of a drunken car accident. Okay? So I have drunkenness, adultery, and murder. I'm trying to shoot for all of them here. I'm trying to go for the, for the big bonus points. What happens then? Okay, now I'm unrepentant. Of three major sins, and some would even say, the Catholic Church would call that, a mortal sin. What happens if I don't have, if I died an unrepented sin? If Jesus isn't the full atonement for all sin, future, past, and present, then where do the blessings come from? Is it truly a full anointing if you only get half portions of it? Because repenting of our sins, being baptized by immersion, if I don't get, if what about the Christians that are out there in, um, what about the Christians who are out there on a desert island, right? They don't know 
about the idea or the concept of baptism, but God in his invisible qualities has reached out to him, and that person actually knows God independently of all cultural, uh, all culture, all anything, right? And, and, and the, the Spirit works in him, right? What happens if he doesn't get baptized? Condemned, dead, hell, I guess. Immersion by the remission of sins. Okay, an immersion, baptized by immersion for the remission of sins. Do I have to get baptized in order to have remission of my sins? Do I have to actually get baptized in order for all my sins to be washed away? Then what happens if I continue to keep sinning? Okay, if I continue to keep sinning after I get baptized, do I have to get baptized again? But that's not the case because the Mormon church actually looks down upon multiple baptisms. They're like, you just need to get baptized once in us, but if, but, you know, if you got baptized at a Presbyterian church, you gotta get baptized again, okay? Because that's not a real, that's not the real thing. All right, we're, we're the real deal, okay? That church is messed up over there. But us, we're perfect. If we change, we add things every, you know, 38 years. We add over 100 verses to our Bible every 38 years, but we're the right ones, okay? Yeah, we got this going on. Being baptized for immersion, for the remission of sins, and receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost. So, is there another baptism? Is this like the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Do I need the baptism of the Holy Spirit in order for me to be saved in the Mormon church? Because that's kind of Pentecostalish. Um, and to the end of the faithful, and to the end, enduring to the end faithfulness and obedience. So, in order for me to have the full blessing of Christ, I have to do what the Mormons want me to do and endure that pain until the end of faithfulness and in obedience. This is Second Nephi 31. This is how I'm going to end this here. I'm going to end this. This is I'm getting a little overboard. Uh, going a little over on time. So I'm going to finish this up right here. Second Nephi 31, 17 through 18. Wherefore, do the things which I have told you. I have seen that your Lord and your Redeemer should do. For this is the cause that they have been shown unto me, that ye might know the gate by which ye should enter. For the gate by which ye should enter is repentance and baptism by water, and when and then cometh a remission of your sins by fire and by the Holy Ghost. Now there's only one other instance, okay, in the actual Bible where the word gate is coming from. And we have to understand that, that the Mormon church uses um, the same words to kind of give itself validity, right? It's like a shell of Christianity. It tries to like hollow everything out and use the face of Christianity to give itself validity. Okay, and I'm going to read it to you, Matthew 13. Um, actually, I lied. What is this verse? Matthew 11, I think it is? Matthew 7. Okay, Matthew 7, 13. Enter by the narrow gate. Okay, this is the narrow gate. It didn't say which gate in the Mormon church, because there's two gates. Okay, and uh, I think that there's a reason for that. The reason is that Mormonism is part of the wide gate. Listen to me very clearly here. Matthew 
um, 7, 13. Matthew 7, 13. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And for those that who enter it, by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. This is the next verse after this verse. And I'm not kidding you. It's almost like God wrote this knowing that the Mormon church would do this. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered by thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bearers have bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many, many mighty works in your name? And then I will say to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell. And the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on a rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teachings, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. These are the people, a part of them, that are going to be thinking to themselves that they did all this great stuff. They're going to be out there being nice to people, being kind, going knocking on doors, doing all these works. It's going to be for nothing. And they say the name of Jesus Christ, but they don't mean it. They don't mean biblical Jesus. They don't mean the right guy. They have created something so twisted on purpose to confuse people and to bring people to this act of absolute confusion so that they can control people and get people comfortable with relativity. Get people comfortable with constant changes. Get people comfortable with the radicalization of definition. Into when your foundation is completely sand, shifting all the time, left and right, all the time. Oh, we're going to add 84 verses to this section of the Bible. Uh, Jesus can do this and you can believe whatever you want. That's what you hear from these, from these Mormons. Well, well I mean, that's, I'm not going to judge you for doing that. 
you know, I'm not going to do that. I wouldn't do that to you. I wouldn't judge you for that. No, it's foolish. Love is correcting people. Love is telling them when they're wrong and trying to bring them to truth. And I pray that I haven't been snotty. I may have had a little bit of snotty today. I'm a little frustrated at the the gap of judgment, the gap of ideas, the gap that we we see, and then yet we still want to have unity. They still want to say, but we're still Christians. In what way? What Christian? What Christ? The one that's created? Along with the devil? You're really equating the devil and Christ in the same breath. John 1. John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. They're the same. Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit are all in Trinity. The Trinity is very simple, and I'm going to get into that in a later video. <sighs> but in the name of Jesus Christ, the actual one Jesus Christ, the one that created it all and died for sins ultimately without fail. God did not fail. Not once. He has one plan. He has one Lord. He has one baptism. He is one Jesus Christ.